1: This is Becky Mealy. My favourite gardening tool
0: is an electrical propagator. I've
2: got two of them. Hello, my name's Matthew Oliver, and my favourite gardening tool is probably my folding Openel knife that I use. And I like it because I use it for harvesting the fruits and the vegetables in the garden, cutting string, opening sacks of compost, and I'd be completely lost if I didn't carry my knife with me every day.
0: They make my seedlings grow nice and strong and we have fruit and veg for the whole summer long. So they are you know, one of my favourite pieces of equipment that we've got.
3: I'm Fiona Davison and this is Gardening with the RHS. Tools are an important part of any gardener's arsenal. We rely on them time and time again to bring our green spaces under control. I'm Jenny Bowden and I'm one of the gardening advisors. Some of the best gardening tools come from the kitchen and my favourite is the bread knife. I use my bread knife for several jobs, dividing tough perennials like agapanthus when a harvest leaks, cutting cabbages. Hi, my name's Charlotte Sweeney. My favourite garden tool is a bulb planting trowel. It can be a bit challenging getting colour into a small garden like my small paved yard, but one easy way to do that is to plant bulbs in pots. Where you've already got plants growing in those pots, you need to be able to make precise small holes, and that's exactly what this tool can do. My favourite tool is quite a new one actually, it's a Hori Hori which is Japanese for dig dig and it's like a giant knife, it's about a foot long and I really like it because I can gouge out weeds in my clay soil and I also, to be honest, quite like it because I think it makes me look like Crocodile Dundee with my giant knife in the garden. But I'm not alone in my tool appreciation as we've heard already. Let's turn to fellow podcast presenter Guy Barter who has held a long-term affection for a certain garden implement.
2: Here I am today in my allotment and I'm just about to use my favourite tool, the Chillington hoe. It's a form of mattock, which is like a spade at right angles to the blade. And you use it in a kind of chopping motion. And given the season, here in mid-October, it's time to say goodbye to my courgettes tell the truth, I've had it up to here with courgettes. If I don't see another courgette until July, it'll be too soon. So off they go to the compost bin. So with a light chopping movement, off we go.
3: I've
2: got a lot of tools, sheds fulls of tools in fact. I've been collecting them for years and years, but my absolute favourite is a mattock. Let me describe it. It's got a heavy steel head that's about the size of a spade and then a handle that's four foot long. that fits in very snugly. And the blade is at right angles to the handle so you hack and chop like you would with a hoe. So you could describe the matter as a cross between a hoe and a pickaxe. The next job is to sow some Italian ryegrass to cover the ground until spring when I will plant onion sets. Working the hoe in a shallow chopping movement I'll just loosen the soil so in a minute I can rake in some Italian ryegrass seeds scattered thinly and tread it down and then the garden will be put to bed for the winter. When i was very young no one i knew used a mattock local gardeners didn't use a mattock my father who's a keen gardener he didn't use a mattock nor his brothers so in fact mattocks are very much not part of the gardening tradition in the southwest where i come from so i suppose i first became aware of them when i moved to london my gardening horizons broadened so what was good enough for my father was no longer good enough for me so you could call it an act of youthful rebellion to ditch the spade and buy a mattock That's one of the few really good decisions I've made in my life. (laughs) Perhaps the most useful thing a mattock is for is growing potatoes, and potatoes are my favourite crop. So first of all, you draw a groove in the ground, and you pop the potatoes in as deep as you can. It's usually at least 50 to 80 millimetres of soil over the tuber, and then the mattock covers them again. And as the potatoes grow, the way I grow potatoes anyway, is to draw earth up around them, is what's called earthing up. And with the mattock, you just go along every week or so and draw the soil up till you've got a mighty ridge in which the potato grows. The mattock's a very ancient tool. You can see it in use in engravings from the Middle Ages, gardeners wandering around with mattocks. I suspect that mattocks were much more popular before the Industrial Revolution than they are now because I think that mining tools, like shovels for example, have heavily influenced gardening equipment. And so we've gone to the spade where previously we would have used the mattock. I like my mattock because it makes life very easy. I can cultivate my allotment without any great effort. I used to spend all winter digging and turning soil over, but with the mattock you can do all that's necessary quite quickly in the spring. That's a big advantage of a sandy soil. They're all completed. There's nothing like a Chillington hoe or a mattock to save labour and work and protect my back. So I'm going to go home now for my tea and console myself of a job well done.
3: I also really love a mattock as well. And in fact, it would have been my first choice if Guy hadn't got in there before me, because I also love the way you can hack into the ground with it quite viciously. There's a theme here. Working with new technology has always been part of horticulture. And in the library, we've got some great images of these early innovations. One of my favourites is the first ever published picture of a lawnmower. The lawnmower was invented by a splendid gentleman by the name of Edward Beard Budding. And he was an engineer from Gloucestershire who'd worked in the mill industries and was used to designing machines for cutting the nap of fabrics. And he decided to adapt this technology for cutting grass. And we've got a splendid picture from 1830 of a top-hatted gentleman striding manfully across the lawn, pushing this brand new fangled machine, a lawnmower. And it says that country gentlemen may find in using my machine an amusing, useful and healthy exercise. But in today's show, we're going to look much further ahead and enter the future. As we find out more about the tools and technology that we may all be using in the years to come. Designer He Young-Huang is ambitious with the technology that she uses in her gardens. Alongside her partner, Simon Kitchen... She's created a number of award-winning Chelsea Gardens that embrace technology. First in 2016 and more recently in the 2018 Chelsea Flower Show. Her designs use technology like hydroponics and an app to monitor energy usage. She's a busy woman, but we managed to catch her and Simon in the car on their way home from a 200km Trek for charity. Let's find out more about why they're embracing technology.
1: I mean, some people say technology should be separate to the garden element because it's the only nature that you are enjoying. But for me, technology is not there to harm the garden or nature. It's to be there to enhance the garden element. You know, like 2016 garden that we had, I did manage to find quite a lot of technology such as like a small chip monitor. So you actually plug in small tiny little chips that um, you just plug into the soil and that ch- chips tells you that the plants need water or nutrient or sunlight. So that's calculating everything for you.
2: In 2018,
4: all of the lighting was controllable for a smartphone but the lighting was also powered by solar panels on the top of the building and uh, solar glazing. And that also controlled the water flow of the pumps and filters that were responsible for converting the fish waste into nutrients, which were then usable within the irrigation system.
1: I'm quite curious person, and I always look for something new as a designer you have obligation or you know responsibility to develop further that's how that technology came into my mind i wanted to go as a designer trying to find something new and then that obviously contribute something to the garden industry there's a tiny self sufficient plant pot that you can grow a vegetable as well yeah that you actually plug in your seed. And, and that's then, a,
4: it's a hydroponic system for growing your herbs. Yes. Grow, so we, yeah. we use that at home for all of our yeah. herbs and
1: veggies. So I think it's quite easy to access. In 20 years, I think there will be more convenient technology that will yeah. enhance the garden. So garden itself is quite man-made creation anyway. So I think the way that it goes, probably more naturalistic, uh, but then technology is just there to
3: enhance them. Hey, young Huang and Simon Kitchen. Technology isn't just transforming the way we grow ornamental plants, but it's also having a big impact on the world of fruit and veg growing too. Indoor and vertical farms are popping up everywhere. Most use LED lights to grow things like salad crops and are built upwards to maximise the space they use. This type of growing looks like it will become increasingly important in the future as space gets harder to come by and fresh food is going to get more difficult to grow due to climate change. Farm Urban is finding new ways to deal with these issues. The company is based underground in Liverpool. They supply local markets and communities with fresh produce, grown under artificial light in a basement. We spoke to co-founder Paul Myers to find out how we could grow like this in our own homes.
4: In many ways, these are ancient techniques. You know, they've been done in ancient China 5,000 years ago and, and um, ancient Peru. Essentially, they would have ponds filled with koi carp and then they would be growing rice or, or tomatoes next to them and they just have a very basic way of moving the water the nutrient rich water from the fish into the crops that they were growing. You know, it's just like a similar principle to a natural pond. You know, if you've got a pond that doesn't have a filter, then essentially aquaponics is taking place there. The fish's waste is fertilizing your, you know, your water lilies and your, your aquatic plants and they in turn cleaning the water for the fish. The main system we use at the moment is, is hydroponics. So that is essentially growing plants in water without soil so there's various different ways in which you can do that you can do it in long towers which is the main system we use you can have the plant suspended in on a raft which floats above the water or you can do it in a a synthetic or soil substitute so clay pellets or coconut coir husks But the principle is the same, you know, you add a nutrient to your water and you make sure that water comes into contact with your plant's roots. So that's hydroponics. Aquaponics takes the hydroponics, but instead of adding nutrients to the water, you grow fish. So the fish produce a waste product called ammonia and that is released by the gills from the fish and also in the fish's solid waste. So we pump that nutrient-rich wastewater through what's called a biofilter, which contains bacteria, and they convert the fish's waste into the perfect plant food. So then we take that nutrient-rich water and pump that up to our plants. So essentially, your fish are fertilizing your plants, and your plants are cleaning the water for your fish. So if you want to grow using hydroponics at home, you essentially need a vessel that will contain some water and then you need something that'll float on the top and you cut some holes in whatever's floating on the top. And then you put some uh, little net pots in those holes, maybe take some cotton wool and plant your seeds in cotton wool. And then if you add nutrients to that water, they'll grow quite happily. The things you wanna watch out for is you don't want the water to kind of sit there, you want it to be moving. So if you could get a little pump in there which would move the water around, that'd be helpful. Basil really loves hydroponic systems, lettuce varieties. So we're growing about 25 different lettuce varieties at the moment in in our farm. You can do this outdoors in greenhouses or you can do it indoors in what's called controlled environment agriculture. Obviously, the benefits of growing outdoors is that you have the sun's light and energy, but the limitations that are there's a, a reduced time period that you can grow, certainly in the UK. Whereas if you move indoors to controlled environment, agriculture, you create the perfect growing conditions 365 days a year. So our main farm is in a basement. So we have in front of each one of our towers, so we've got seven foot towers, vertical towers, each containing about 15 herb or, or salad plants. Directly in front of that is an LED light. So that light is on for 18 hours a day. So it gives the plant... All the light it needs for 18 hours, and the temperature and the CO2 levels are controlled. We're growing mammoth leaf basil in October in Liverpool, you know, but the plant thinks it's on the, the hillside in Tuscany and it looks and tastes the same as if it was grown there. So I think finding a way to feed ourselves more sustainably is possibly the most important things that humans need to do. And I would argue and many others would agree that humans feeding themselves is currently the most destructive thing that we do, you know, on many, many levels in terms of taking up biodiversity, increased carbon emissions, land use, water use, you know, finding ways to grow food with reduced environmental impact is really important. I've looked at lots and lots of different ways of doing that. That's kind of the the reason we set up the company. It's the reason we got into this, myself and my co-founder Jens. And if we grow food indoors, then the fields and the kind of largely sterilized landscapes that have, where the soil's being eroded and being pumped full of chemicals, that can be given back to nature. And we can start to rewild landscapes and we can use the technology that we've got and the knowledge we've got to produce food closer to where it's being consumed in a more sustainable, less harmful way. Growing your own food is just an amazing thing to do. It's such an enriching thing to do at any and every age. I've got two young kids and, you know, we have one of our aquaponic systems in our kitchen. And I, I can remember when my daughter was was younger, you know, I was trying to get her to eat salad and drink kale smoothies, which is a really hard sell to a two and a half year old kid, no matter how much I'm into this stuff. Uh, but Bella would say, no way, Daddy, I, I'm not eating that. I'm not drinking that. And then I put one of the little aquaponic systems that we were developing in the kitchen. And Bella took an interest in the fish and she named them Fish and Fishy. And then she took an interest in the plants that were grown in the top, the salads and the herbs, and she wants to smell them and taste them. And now, five years on, every morning, the first thing she does when she gets up is feed those fish. And we pick the salad and the herb and the kale plants that are grown on the top, put them in a blender with an apple and some honey, some water, and blitz it up. And, you know, it's basically a kale smoothie. It's this earthy-tasting, green, frothy liquid. But she loves them. And we call them super juices. And she's telling all her friends in school about them. So I think in terms of reconnecting, especially young people, to food, it's really, really powerful. And once kids have grown their own food and tasted it and been part of that process and reconnected to it, it does have a lasting effect. And also as a a way to do something positive in this kind of fight against climate change, we're just hearing so much about how we are destroying the planet and, and how devastating humans' actions and activities are. But it's rare that we get to see how we can make a difference and how we can make a change. Growing our own food, buying food that is produced in a, in a sustainable way, it can have huge, huge impacts. It's not particularly difficult to do. Everyone in the country could do it. And if everyone contributed some small amounts. And changed some of these habits and started growing their own. Cumulatively, that starts to add up.
3: Paul Myers. All this cutting edge technology has (laughs) reminded me of another of my favourite things in the library, which is a set of photographs of the 1959 Chelsea Garden of Tomorrow, which had a splendid robot lawnmower in it, which was the size and shape of a metal bin with an aerial stuck out the top. And we've got some splendid photographs of louche 1950s ladies casually smoking a cigarette while this bin robot trundles round the garden doing all their lawn mowing. But as great as technology is, I think I'm going to have to stick with my beloved trowel. That's all for today's show. Until next time, it's goodbye from me, Fiona Davison.